Thank you for joining us at the First Baptist Church of Coleraine, Massachusetts, as Pastor Jim Rennie continues to faithfully challenge and encourage us in the Word. And it is our prayer that this message will encourage the believer and bring the unbeliever closer to a saving knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. I would like to welcome everybody that's tuning in, the people that are here, that have shown up for church, those that are listening, wherever you may be, welcome one and all. Uh, the title of today's message, we're going to be studying through uh, Revelation chapter 10, finish chapter 10 today. The title of this message is Bittersweet Taste for John. It's referring to the Apostle John when John eats the little scroll, which we'll learn about shortly. Last week, chapter 9, we learned about the second world judgment after the sixth angel, the seven altogether, the seven trumpet judgments, when the sixth angel blew his trumpet, it released four demon angels, evil spirits, from the abyss, remember that? And an army, they led an army numbering 200 million evil spirits that killed a third of mankind during the coming Great Tribulation period. So this 10th chapter, which we're about to listen to and read ourselves, this 10th chapter, is the interlude between the 6th and the 7th, which is the final, the 7th final trumpet judgment. As Pastor said, we'll be reading the 10th chapter of Revelation. Then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven. He was robed in a cloud with a rainbow above his head. His face was like the sun. His legs were like fiery pillars. He was holding a little scroll which lay open in his hand. He planted his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land. And he gave a loud shout like the roar of a lion. When he shouted, the voices of seven thunders spoke. And when the seven thunders spoke, I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven say, seal up what the seven thunders have said and do not write it down. Then the angel I had seen standing on the sea and on the land raised his right hand to heaven, and he swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created the heavens and all that is in them, the earth and all that is in it, and the sea and all that is in it, and said, There will be no more delay, but in the days when the seventh angel is about to sound his trumpet, the mystery of God will be accomplished, just as he answered, announced rather to his servants, the prophets. Then the voice that had heard I had heard from heaven spoke to me once more. Go, take the scroll which lies open in the hand of the angel who is standing on the sea and on the land. So I went to the angel and asked him to give me the little scroll. He said to me, take it and eat it. It will turn sour, your stomach sour, but in your mouth it will be as sweet as honey. I took the little scroll from the angel's hand and ate it. It tasted as sweet as honey in my mouth, 
But when I had eaten it, my stomach turned sour. Then I was told, you must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, languages, and kings. Thank you, Rick. Let's just have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, again, it's good to be here. It's good to have people tune in and listen to this message. We can uh, so much to uh, understand within these 11 verses. And uh, we need to concentrate, to be tuned in, to listen, because we can miss something. And uh, we know it's going to be beneficial to those that listen to it and those that are watching. So give us understanding of your word uh, for this message that we have prepared for each one of us. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Now in this 10th uh, chapter, the verse 1, we learn about an angel. But not just any angel, but a very impressive looking angel. It's a mighty angel. Let's uh, read it again to remind us already. Then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven. He was robed in a cloud with a rainbow above his head. You remember that uh, in heaven there's a rainbow encircling the throne of heaven. His face was like the sun and his legs were like fiery pillars. Some people believe this is Jesus himself. Uh, we can't be sure for certain. It's a mighty angel, and uh, he's on a special envoy. He's on a special mission. And uh, this most likely could be, um, more likely than not, the angel Michael, the archangel, one of the chief angels. And uh, whoever he is, uh, he will descend from heaven to earth. It hasn't happened yet. These are all future things that will take place. In verse 2, he's holding a little scroll. Uh, in the times of John, when he wrote this, they hadn't started putting letters or words into book form. Scrolls, you know what a scroll is. We've been through that before. It's a little scroll. It's not a big scroll. And this angel is holding the little scroll in his hand. It's already been opened. Now, probably by Jesus in heaven, who alone, remember, only Jesus, he alone is worthy to open the scrolls in heaven, including the, the major scroll that contains the seven judgments to be poured out on this earth during the tribulation period, not only to open the scroll, but break the seals and every seal that is broken, it unleashes a judgment on this earth during the tribulation period in the future end times event. We're living in the end times now. This could occur at any time after the church is taken out at the rapture. Immediately the church is taken out, the tribulation period will begin, seven years in length. The worst of it being the, last, the latter half of the tribulation period. The latter half of seven years, the last three and a half years, referred to as the great tribulation. Now this mighty angel, probably more likely than not, the archangel Michael, 
he descends from earth and he plants one foot on the sea and one on the land and we're not told where but it's probably Israel Israel so well how can he plant one foot on the land and one on the sea have you ever been to the beach you put one foot on the sand and one in the sea can't you okay now, in Daniel chapter 12, verse 1, we're told regarding Michael, and this is why I believe this is Israel, where he's got one foot on the land, one on the sea. Daniel says this, At that time, Michael, the great prince, who protects your people. Daniel was a Jew, yes? His people were Israel. At that time, Michael... The great prince who protects your people will arise. There will be a time of distress, such as not happened from the beginning of nations until then. What's he talking about? The tribulation, yes? But at that time, your people, who are they? Israel. Everyone whose name is found written in the book will be delivered. So if your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life, you are safe, you are secure, you are saved. Hallelujah. Can I hear an amen? amen. All right. Now, so we believe it's Michael, all right? So God's plan of salvation for Israel is on the cards. It's going to take place. These are the chosen people, God's chosen people. He loves all people. And one day he's going to redeem, I don't know how many, but millions of millions of Jews. He's going to save millions and millions of them. Of course, there's going to be many that do not receive Jesus as their saviour. There's going to be many that do not acknowledge that he is the Messiah. But that will be their choice. Now in verse 3, you know there's 11 verses, so I'm not going to be in a hurry. There's a lot in this. It's very somewhat complicated. But this is why we need to keep our ears open. So when this mighty angel, he puts his foot on the one foot on the land, the other foot in the sea. Then he calls out with a loud voice, and it sounds, he said, like a, the roar of a lion. This is why some people believe this could be Jesus, because Jesus is from the tribe, the lion of the tribe of Judah. But no, I don't believe it is. It's a, it's, it sounds like the roar of a lion. It doesn't say it is a lion. In fact, his voice is so loud that within the sound of that, his voice that sounds like a lion, there's seven, and seven is very significant in the book of Revelation, isn't it, in the Bible? There's seven terrifying thunderclaps. Each one of those terrifying thunderclaps is sending out a clear message that the Apostle John, and only the Apostle John, can hear. Here again, we have the number seven. It's a reoccurring theme, isn't it? We know that uh, the number seven appears a lot in the Bible, especially in the book of Revelation. There's seven lampstands. There's seven churches, remember? 
the seven seals, the seven trumpets, the seven judgments, isn't there? The seven seals. Now the seven thunders. And also we're going to learn shortly about the seven bowl judgments. We're learning about the trumpet judgments now. Also remember that in scripture the number seven is considered to be the perfect number which represents God himself, who is perfect, amen? There's only one who is perfect, and that is God, amen? amen. Number four, so when John does hear each one of those seven thunderclaps, each one is containing a message. We don't know what the message is. We've got a pretty good idea uh, to sum it up, but we'll get there in a minute. And he's hearing these thunderclaps, and he's hearing these seven messages, and he's about to write each one of them down. Remember, Jesus told him to write things down, to record things for us to read today, the book of Revelation. It's written by John under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And John is about to write these messages down, each one of them. How many are there? Seven. Then suddenly a voice from heaven probably Jesus, probably Christ. He told him not to do it. Jesus is the great commander, right? So he gives John the command. Don't write those messages down. Do not do it. Do not write. But seal them up. What he heard. But don't write them down. In other words, keep it to yourself, Johnny. Do not write them down. Keep it to yourself, okay? As they say in English, stum. I think that's probably a Yiddish word. Keep stum. Have you ever heard of that? Okay, you have now. You know the best way to keep a secret? No. Not tell somebody. Don't tell anybody. Don't tell anybody. And this is what Jesus is telling John. Don't tell anybody. Keep it to yourself, okay? Okay. Now, we don't know why God doesn't want people to know what these seven thunder messages mean. What we need to know is that if God wanted to include those messages in his word, he would have told us, right? If he wants us to know something, he's going to tell us. And he's going to leave out everything that we don't need to know. And that includes these seven messages. Only John knows that. When you get to heaven, you can ask him, okay? <laughs> Number five, verse five. Oh, almost half through, halfway through. Then John, he sees this vision of this mighty angel, most likely the archangel Michael. He's holding an open scroll and he's raised the angel he's raised his right hand this one his right hand and he's swearing an oath to God now this is not unusual especially in the Old Testament Abraham did it when he when his nephew Lot was kidnapped you remember the the marauders they they went down to Sodom and Gomorrah and they they, they ransacked the place and they took all the, the worldly goods and they took all the people and they kidnapped them as hostages. So Abraham had to go after his nephew to rescue him. 
and he had the help of the king of Sodom. And the king of Sodom wanted to give Abraham all these gifts. And Abraham refused it. And he said, with raised hand, I have sworn an oath to the Lord most high, creator of heaven and earth. So he's the one. He's my provider, not you, king of Sodom. He's the one. I have sworn an oath. And this is what Moses also did when he said in Deuteronomy 32, 40, he says, I left my hand to heaven and swear. It's a swearing an oath. This is what the angel is doing, this mighty angel. And in verse 6, we're told that when John hears the mighty angel swear an oath, really, this, when he's swearing an oath, basically, he's just confirming what God has already ordained to happen. And he's going to tell us what that is when he swears that oath. He swears the oath to God, and we get more insight into future events when the angel says there will be no more delay. Look at it in verse 6. There will be no more delay. Now, this is confirmation of what God has already decided it's already happened. It's, it's going to happen. There will be no delay. This means more than likely. The time will come when God will not restrain evil in this world any longer. There's even a limit to God's patience. Neither will he hold back all the catastrophic judgments that will surely fall on this earth during the tribulation period. They have to fall before the tribulation period ends. We've not learned about the final seventh trumpet judgment yet, which is going to be the worst one out of all of them. So when the mighty angel swears an oath to God, John reminds us, not that we needed to be reminded, of who God is. He's the creator of heaven and earth and everything in it. Don't believe the lie about evolution. It's the theory. It always was a theory and it always will be a theory. It's not a fact if it's a theory. Amen? All God's plans and all his purposes will be carried out in his preordained timetable, right? He's a God of order, and it's all going to happen the way it's predicted and prophesied in the Bible through his servants, the prophets, all right? God has waited patiently. He's very patient. He's waited patiently enough for thousands of years, offering salvation to mankind, by sending his son Jesus to die on a cross, to suffer and die, and then rose again from the dead. Very patient, been waiting 2,000 years, more than 2,000 years, giving people the opportunity to be saved. But one day, his offer of salvation will come to an end. 
and I hope you know by now that death marks the end of your opportunity to accept Jesus Christ as your personal savior because once you're dead, it's too late. You need to be saved in this life. You know, we don't pray for the dead. For them, it's too late. The Bible says, as it is appointed unto man, wants to die, so there's no such thing as reincarnation, okay? That's a lie from the pit of hell, leading millions of people to hell that believe in reincarnation. You know, if they're a good person, they'll come back as something. If they're really bad, they'll come back as a, a rat or an ant or a fly. So you've got to be really good in this life so you can come back a better person. It's wrong. It's not true. It's a lie. As it is appointed unto man, wants to die, and after that, the judgment. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27. There will be no delay. It's going to happen, that seventh trumpet judgment. When that final seal is broken. Verse 7, we're told that God's mystery. See, this is all a mystery, isn't it? Really. Especially in the Old Testament, it was a mystery. The Old Testament prophets wrote down God's thoughts, but they didn't understand everything that was going to occur. They believed it, but they didn't know that, that the mystery would be revealed. It would be, and it was, Daniel was told it would be. He was told to seal it up. And now John is opening it up for us, okay? He's opening it up. We can understand it now in the new through his prophets, Paul, Peter, etc., etc., John, all the apostles. Thank God for that. We have an understanding that the Old Testament prophets didn't have. It's no longer a mystery. Amen? It's no longer a mystery. We're told that God's mystery given to the prophets, the Old Testament, will be fulfilled. Every word of it will be fulfilled. Some of the prophecies have already happened. Some are taking place now. And the rest are yet to happen in the future. But it will happen. It's written in the word. Amen. It's a done deal. But only God knows when. We just have to be ready. Are you ready to die? Are you anticipating the Lord's return at any second? You should. It gives us hope. Take your mind off Ukraine. Keep your mind on the Lord. Not that we shouldn't pray for Ukraine, of course. Do not misunderstand me. So one of these mysteries includes the seventh seal judgments. The last seventh seal judgment happens when the seventh angel blows his trumpet. Remember that? Seven trumpet judgments. Seven seals. The last one, the seventh one, it unleashes the final destruction of the ungodly prior to the final culmination of the tribulation period. All right? It's going to be bad. It's going to be awful. You don't have to go through it. If you're unsaved, 
and the Lord comes back now, you will go through the tribulation. Guaranteed. If you die now without Christ, you will go to hell. Guaranteed. But if you receive Jesus as your personal savior, you will go directly to heaven when you die. You receive Jesus who is the life. You receive everlasting life. And you can never perish. Amen? Okay. So we might ask, oh, God's supposed to be loving and kind. Why would he allow such things to happen? Well, you don't really have an understanding of God's justice, do you? You don't really understand how holy and righteous God is. You don't understand who he is and how much he hates sin. We don't have a concept of how much he hates sin. He hates it so much that he was willing to give up his own son. That's how much he hates sin and suffer and die in our place so we wouldn't have to face judgment. That's how much, uh, would you be willing to sacrifice your child because you hate sin and allow him to go through what he went through? Would you allow that? No, but God did. God did it. Why is God going to pour out his devastation and, and wrath, devastating wrath, upon this earth as described in the final three judgment woe judgments the final three and there's a very good reason and I quote uh, one of the best Bible scholars and end time Bible scholars John Warford why God would allow this to happen during the tribulation period and this is what he said quote the destruction and judgment of the world indicates God's purging of the world in preparation for the future millennium kingdom. That's the thousand-year reign after the tribulation ends. Jesus is going to return. He's going to set up his kingdom. We prayed it this morning. You've heard it a thousand times. You've prayed it a thousand times. Thy kingdom come... Yes, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He's talking about when he returns and sets up his kingdom, his millennial kingdom for a thousand years. That's what millennial means. I know you knew that. Let me quote it again. The destruction and judgment of the world indicates God's purging of the world in preparation for the future millennial kingdom. That's John Warford. Unquote is Jim Rennie. In other words, when Jesus sets up his earthly kingdom, which he surely will, there will be no sinners left alive to pollute it. They're going to be destroyed. They're going to be wiped out, every one of them. They're going to be dead. No sinner will enter into the millennial kingdom when Christ comes back. 
You see, it wouldn't be heaven on earth, would it? If there were sinners in it. Would it? No. I'm glad you agree. At least one of us. Or two of us agree. It wouldn't be heaven on earth if there were sinners in the world. Would there? Would it be? What do you think's creating all this trouble in the world ever since Adam and Eve disobeyed God? It's sin in the heart of men and women. Why is Ukraine happening? All those people suffering and dying. And you've got people like Putin and Hitler and Stalin and Napoleon and going way, way back. It's sin that's ruined everything. Do you think God's going to allow that into his millennial kingdom when he lives and reigns for a thousand years? No. All sinners will be eliminated during the tribulation period. Every one of them. But of course, during the tribulation, because God is merciful, there's going to be people saved during the tribulation. These are going to be the tribulation saints. And they will enter into the millennial kingdom and rule and reign with Christ like we will. So, verse 8. We're told that after John was told not to write down what he'd heard, there was seven thunderclap messages. Don't write it. Keep it to yourself. Now he hears a command. Number two, second command, yes. He hears the command to take the open little scroll from the mighty angel. Well, how could he do that? Think about this. He's on the island of Patmos. The mighty angel might be in Israel. Don't know what the distance is. Don't care. I know John's not there where the mighty angel is. So what would happen? Well, this would require God to transport John from the island of Patmos to the location where the mighty angel is, right? No problem. God can do it. He's done it in the past. He's going to do it in the future. He did it with Elijah. He transported him. Amen? He never died. He did it with Enoch. He transported him. Amen? He didn't die. He's going to do it with the church. No problem. If he did it for them, he's going to do it for us. And he did it for John. Whoosh. He's on the island of Patmos next minute. He's going up to the mighty angel, which is Michael, and said, give me the scroll, man. Give me the little scroll. God's told me to get the scroll from you. He said, okay, here you go. I've got it. I'm holding it in my left hand because the right one was up in the air praising the Lord. Amen? So that would require God to transport him. And he did. Now, regarding this scroll... Remember, we studied the book of Revelation. It tells us that no one in heaven or on earth was found worthy to open the scroll of God's judgments and break the seals. Remember that? Only one was worthy. Who was that? Jesus. Therefore, this scroll cannot be the same scroll 
that Jesus received from the hand of God, which he could open in heaven. It's not the same scroll. It's a little scroll. Not the big one. You want any job trying to eat that? Anyone, any volunteers? It's a little one. So small that he could consume it. We'll get there in a minute. It's not the same scroll that Jesus opened in heaven. He's not broken the seventh seal yet, though, has he? No, 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 but he will. We're in between the sixth and seventh seal. Judgment, okay? So in verse 9, he commands John. Don't know whether he had a choice. He went. Meets up with the, uh, the mighty angel at that location. He's got one foot on the earth, one foot on the sea. Holding a little scroll in his left hand. John asked him for the scroll. Daddy told me to come to you and give me that scroll. He says, good, I've got it for you. Here you go. John had no idea what was going to happen next. He had no idea. You know what's going to happen next? You know what's going to happen tomorrow? No, none of us do. God does. You see, you know, when God tells us to do something, like he told John to do something, he didn't know what the outcome would be. He never questioned it. He just did what God told him to do. He didn't ask him a question. He didn't say, why should I do this? Why should I do that? He just did it. He obeyed. He never questioned God's motives. He just, should, he just obeyed, and that's what we should do. We, don't, we never should question God's motives. Even if we don't know what the outcome is, all we need to know that God does. God knows the outcome, all right? That's all we need to know. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. You know why so many Christians are miserable? Because they don't trust and they don't obey. Amen? You ever been in that position? Don't need to tell me. You know, the Lord knows. That's all we need to know. If you want to keep a secret, don't tell anybody. All right? Don't tell me, you know. Can you keep a secret? Yeah, right. Heard that one before. So the mighty angel gives John the little scroll. He didn't know what he was going to do with it. Mighty angel did. He says, eat it. What? Eat it. Eat it. And he says, when you do, when you put it in your mouth, it's going to taste like honey. Lovely. Right? Who doesn't like honey? I have a joke about that, but I won't, I won't bother. No, shall I say it? Yes, you really? You want to hear it? Okay. There's three guys with their wives around the dinner table. And each one was trying to impress the other, their wives and the people around the dinner table. And one guy says, oh... Can you pass the honey, honey, to his wife, you know? Oh, she felt so good, you know. He called me honey. Passed him the honey. and Thank you, honey. And the other one says, I'm going to outbid that guy. I'm going to do better than that one. He says, uh, darling, a sugar. Can you pass the sugar? He says, oh, yes. Yeah. She says, oh, yes, yeah, so cool. He called me sugar. 
And that, the last guy, he didn't know what to do with his wife. He says, hey, can you pass me the tea bag? <laughs> anyway, you can edit that if you want. I don't care. See, church is about having fun as well, you know. It's not all fire and brimstone and all that, but it's uh, sure enough true. So he says, eat it. But, it, you know, it's okay. It's going to taste like honey. But when it goes into your stomach, it's going to be really bitter. It's going to be, you know, it's going to upset your stomach. So, okay. So then the mighty angel gives John the little scroll. Couldn't obviously, I mean, there wasn't books back then. Little piece of paper. Tells him to eat it. It's going to taste like honey. He pops it in the mouth. It's going to be really acidic. It's going to be bitter and sour. You know, he's going to need some Pepto-Bismol. You know, and I don't, I don't think they had any back in those days, you know. Pepto-Bismol. i got another story about that, but I won't tell you. So John does what he's told. No problem. Oh, I like honey. Pops that in. Starts eating the scroll. Starts munching on the scroll. If he had any teeth left. Remember, he's in his 90s by now. Not that people here don't have their own teeth. I'm not saying that. You know, whether they're manufactured or natural, I don't care. And he pops it in, he starts tasting it, and his taste buds, ooh, good, honey. And then his stomach starts to get sour. You ever eaten something that turns your stomach? You think, oh, I wish I hadn't eaten that. We just got back from a little time away, and I had something, and I thought, I wish I hadn't eaten that. But thank the Lord, we've got Tom's. Tom's that can come to the rescue. So, But this... This honey and this sour stomach, you know, it symbolizes a spiritual truth. And I know you can't wait to hear what that is. <laughs> you know, the prophet David says, Psalm 119.03, and it takes a lot about the old uh, honey in the Old Testament, you know, you should look it up. Get yourself a concordance and look up the word honey in the Old Testament. And David said this, how sweet are your words to my taste. What's he talking about? Bible. Sweet. Sweeter than honey to my mouth. That's the word of God, you see. Yes, God's word contains a sweet message, doesn't it? A message of salvation. But it also contains a sour message. God's word contains the message of forgiveness, which is sweet, amen? But it also contains a message of condemnation, the message of condemnation, which is bitter. It's bitter. The Bible is sweet to those that read it, and not only to those that read it, but also to those who obey it but bitter to those who choose to reject it. Bitter. How are you receiving this message today? Is it sweet or is it bitter? 
You know, verse 10, two more verses. I know it's a little long, but that's fine. If I can stand up here, you can sit there. <laughs> verse 10, we're told, and I'm going to need a knee replacement too. So, We're told after John put the little scroll in his mouth, it tasted good. Who doesn't like honey? It tasted like honey. It, was, it did taste like honey. And when he digested it, his stomach turned sour, turned bitter. Now, Bible-believing preachers that proclaim God's word should never be afraid to tell the truth. Even though it may offend people, some people, and it's a bitter pill for those that hear it, right? Because it's going to offend some people that don't want to hear it. But that shouldn't alter the fact that they need to hear it. You need to hear it because you need to be saved. And once you receive Jesus, it's the sweetest thing you will ever know in this life. Amen. Final verse. John was informed that there was more work for him to do. He's in his 90s, right? And that he would have to prophesy even more about these future events. See, the book of Revelation isn't necessarily in chronological order. He'll jump ahead and then he'll come back. All right, but it's all going to be figured out. If you keep tuning in, turning on, we'll get it uh, clearly understood, I hope, by the time we finish chapter 22. These future events that John would prophesy about, he's a prophet. He's going to, he's going to prophesy the future of Israel, the nation of Israel. He's going to prophesy about the persecution of Israel by the Antichrist and all those that do not have the mark of the beast. The beast is the Antichrist. John is going to prophesy about the mercy of God on unbelievers during the tribulation period. Don't forget the church has already been taken out. God's mercy is going to be poured out on the unbelievers. He's going to send two evangelists, not Jimmy Swaggart or Billy Graham. No. We'll learn more about who they are next week. Lord willing. It's not Billy Graham. It's not Jimmy Swagger. He's going to commission 144,000 Jewish Christians to preach the gospel to every tribe, every tongue, every nation. So every one of them would have the opportunity to be saved. Jordan was going to prophesy about the battle of Armageddon. He's going to prophesy about the fall of Babylon. He's going to prophesy about Jesus' defeat of the wicked nations and the final destination of the wicked in the lake of fire. John is going to prophesy about all those things, all revealed in the book of Revelation. Let's close. Despite John being banished to the remote island that Greek island in Patmos, by the Roman emperor Domitian, they could not silence the apostles' witness. Even though John was in his 90s, he proves it's never too late to serve God and to be used by him in his service. You know, I don't know if they're watching. Maybe they are, maybe they're not. 
when they say they're going to retire. Get somebody recently, I know, a pastor. He says, I've been a pastor for 30-something years. Now I'm going to retire. Well, he's walking, he's talking, he's not infirm. Why would you ever retire? The call on your life is permanent until God snuffs you out. And as I always say, you don't retire until you expire. It doesn't matter how old you are. God can still use you in his service. He's using Sarah Lumen, even now, who's in her 90s. So you're in good company, Sarah. He used John as well. And he can use every one of you. Is he? Is he? We got an Uber the other day. 40-minute trip from Port Canaveral to the horrible airport of Orlando. What are we going to talk to the driver about? So we got talking and going back and forth. And uh, this fellow had been shot in the leg. And the bullets had actually gone through his leg and he never hit one artery. It's a miracle that he's still alive. And we wonder why he didn't come out and help us put the case in the trunk. I said to Denise, don't give that guy a good tip. Because he's getting us to carry that case and put it in the back of the... Well, I didn't know he'd been shot in the leg, did I? All right? Naughty me. So then, I thought, well, you know, how do you talk to people, total stranger, about the Lord? I don't find that easy. I don't know about you. I'm basically a shy person, right? Believe it or not. And it's like the Lord saying, are you ashamed of me then? Oh, uh-oh. No. So we, we shared it, but I said, you know, because I love people, I like to tell people about Jesus who loves people. And we got talking, and he was going back and forth, and he, it opened up the conversation, you know. So like good old John, he's, he's still being a, a, a faithful witness in his old age. And prior to being in Patmos, he wrote the biography of Jesus. He wrote three letters to the church. And he's not done yet. Jesus says, you're not done yet. You must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, languages, and kings. And that's referring to the book of Revelation. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. The book of Revelation that I won't say most, but a lot of people prefer to avoid. Some people actually hate it. But to those of us that are studying it, we are learning to love it. I don't know about you, but I am learning. I do love it. Amen? Amen. Let's close in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for the patience of your people. It's an important message and we need to know it. And it just confirms to us that you are sovereign, you are in control. We should never question your motives because you know what's best for us. Lord, we ask you to use us 
It's never too late to be used. You desire to do it, to be your witnesses, to share our faith, even though it's not always easy to do. You provide the opportunity, the opportunities for us to do that. Give us the courage to open our mouths and share our testimony, what Jesus has done for us. For those of you listening, you're not saved. You've never received Jesus as your savior. All you need to do is believe in your heart that Jesus died on that cross for you to take your punishment away so you can be forgiven. He bore your sins on the cross and he died and he rose again from the dead. Believe that in your heart and ask him to save you. And he will, if you sincerely believe it. Amen? Amen. Thank you. God bless you. Thank you again for tuning in. You can find our podcasts on Apple Podcasts and anywhere else you find podcasts. We'd love for you to join us at the First Baptist Church in Coleraine for Sunday morning worship at 11 a.m., We are located at 81 Foundry Village Road, Coleraine, Massachusetts. If you have any questions or inquiries, please feel free to call the church at 413-624-8886. Hope to see you soon. God bless.